This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, what a great privilege we have now in the middle of Lent to hear one of the greatest stories ever told. I'm talking about what's generally regarded to be Jesus' greatest parable, the parable of the prodigal son, or maybe better, the parable of the father and his two sons. There's so much spiritual wealth in the story, and it's beguiled Christian thinkers and artists up and down the centuries. I'll just say a a few simple things as we go through this great story. Can I urge everybody listening to me, at some point today, take out your, uh, your New Testament, turn to Luke chapter 15, you'll find this great story there, and it's a wonderful point of meditation. So here's how we begin. A man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of your estate that should come to me. Now, as many pointed out, uh, this is shockingly insulting language, especially for that time and place. Because what the younger son was saying basically was, why don't you hurry up and die? Because you'd wait for your father to die before you got his inheritance. He's saying basically, I can't wait for that. Just hurry up and give me uh, my share of the inheritance. So very deeply insulting to the father. Notice too, in this one line, three times he emphasizes me. Give me my share of my estate that's coming to me. So three times he emphasizes me. Well, here's the heart of the problem, isn't it? God's being is forgiving. I mean that in a double sense. It gives away. God is love. To love is to will the good of the other. The sinful consciousness is the one that looks inward. Me, mine, my prerogatives. The younger son is showing that he just doesn't get his father. He doesn't get the dynamic of his father's life. But the father, respecting the son's freedom, acquiesces, divides the property between them. Then we hear, after a few days, the younger son collected all his belongings, went off to a distant country, it says here in English, The Greek is kora makra. Makra means big in Greek, and kora means empty. The big empty space. That's where the young son went. You see how the link to God, the link to the Father who is giving, is the source of life. As long as we're connected, we are willing to receive the gift that God gives, then we have life and life to the full. What happens now is when you sever that link and you say, let me have the divine life as my own possession, what happens by a kind of inevitable spiritual physics is you lose that life. Now, do you see why? 
the fathers in, in terms of the parable, God's life, exists only in gift form. That means when you receive it as a gift, you must then give it as a gift. When you do that, it increases in you. That's the spiritual physics. What goes wrong is when you say, I will receive the divine life and make it mine. Then you wander indeed into the Kora Makra, into the great empty space. And listen now, there he squandered his inheritance on the life of dissipation. He lost everything. So it goes when we live in the space of the ego and outside of the space of God's giving love. How wonderful we hear that a famine struck that country. Well, see, that's a spiritual symbol, isn't it? Lifelessness, dryness happens when we are cut off from the divine life. Coming to his senses, he thought, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough to eat? And here I am dying of hunger. See, even the slaves in his father's realm have enough to eat. It's very powerful, isn't it? Anybody, I mean, even, even the lowest level figures who are attached to the divine life have more than they need. The son realizes it. I'll get up, I'll go to my father, I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as you treat one of your hired workers. See what's wonderful about that is he's realized, heck, even the hired workers have more than enough. I'll take the lowest position in the land of plenty over the highest position in the Koramakra. You see how this is like Ignatius of Loyola's famous two standards. The devil, he'll offer you the biggest job possible in his empire, his army. He'll make you the field marshal of his army. Who cares? Christ might make you the cleaner of the latrines in his army. Take that job. It's better than field marshal in the devil's army. Same idea here. The younger son realizes, heck, even the lowest level people in my father's realm, have more than enough. So he got up, went back to his father. Then this beautiful detail. While he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him and was filled with compassion. What does that prove? It proves that all this time, while the son was wandering off in the Kora Makra, all this time the father was looking, waiting, expecting. See, that's our God, everybody. Don't think primarily of God as someone who's deeply offended by our sin. I mean, God is offended by our sin, but not in some kind of personal, psychological sense. What that means is that God hates our sin because it makes us less than alive. But see, God is not this oh, you know, difficult, fussy uh, policeman. God is like this father who watches and waits for us to come back. And then this, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. All the commentators talk about this. In the ancient world, in Jesus' time and place, a patriarch, you know, an old man, a father or a grandfather, well, he would sit in his place of honor, and then people would come to him. 
they'd pay obeisance to him. There was a, a, a proverb of Jesus' time that an old man's cloak should never move, <laughs> meaning he doesn't walk or run to you, you walk or run to him. But see, the father throwing caution and respectability to the winds comes running after his son. If you want, humiliating himself before the son who had humiliated him. See, that catches the dynamic in the relationship between us and God. Every time we sin, every, and we've all wandered into the Kora Makra, haven't we? Every one of us. We've insulted our father. We've said, give me my share coming to me. Nevertheless, God will humiliate himself before us who humiliated him. That's the, the revolution in the understanding of God, which is contained in this great story. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But see, the father cuts him off, doesn't let him even finish this well-rehearsed speech. He says to the servants, Quickly, bring the finest robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. So, dressing him up, reminding him of his nobility. See, every one of us, created by God, redeemed by Christ, baptized in the church, we all have this sacred nobility. We can wander off in the Koromakra. We can throw away our beautiful dress and sandals and ring. But see, the Father restores them to us. The beauty of that symbol of the ring, right? It's like a wedding ring, isn't it? We talk about Christ being the bridegroom and the church the bride. There's an admirable commercium, the church father said, an admirable exchange that takes place between the bridegroom and bride. Well, see, you see it here symbolically. The father putting the ring back on the son's finger. It's a kind of marriage. It's a reestablishment of a relationship. Take the fattened calf and slaughter it. Let us celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. What a beautiful resonance between this and, and the uh, other well-known parables. Think of the good shepherd, leaves the 99 behind, and then rejoices when he finds the one who's lost. The woman who loses the one coin worth less than a penny, turns the house upside down, but when she finds it, she throws a party. Of course, anyone would think she's a mad woman. You're throwing a party because you found a penny? Are you out of your mind? That's the whole idea, though, that God is crazy in love with us. And so here, this son who had humiliated him, had squandered his possessions, and yet he gives him this great feast. So it goes, the Lord said, there's more rejoicing over one sinner that returns than over 99 who need no repentance. So it goes with our God. Then, of course, as the parable ends, this Wonderful and, and really chilly in its own way, reflection on the older son who resents what's going on. The father comes out to him as he came out to the younger son as well. He comes out to him, begging him to come into the party. Then we hear this and how telling it is. He said to his father in reply, Look, all these years I have slaved for you. 
and not once did I disobey your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat to feast on with my friends. What gives away the game, of course, is that language of slavery. What is the proper dynamic that God gives, we receive, and we give back? And in that loop of grace, we come to life. That's the pattern. The younger son grabbed the divine life. The older son treats the divine life not as a gift, but as something he has to slave for. Do you see how each in a slightly different way misses the dynamic of the father? What does the father say to the older son? My son, you're here with me always. Everything I have is yours. Don't you get it? Don't you get it? All you have to do is open yourself to divine life. It will flow into you. Now, once you get it, give it away. Then it increases 30, 60, and 100 fold. But what you don't do is either grab it and make it your own little possession or slave for it. In either case, you're going to miss the dynamic. But now, he says, we must celebrate because your brother was dead. It's come to life again. He was lost and has been found. Wonderful, wonderful, of course. But what's left unresolved in some ways is, will the older brother come back to life again? He's lost too in his own way. Will he be found? Friends, spend some time today with Luke chapter 15, this gorgeous, rich parable. Let it sink in. It teaches you the essential dynamics of the spiritual life. And may God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Four years in the making, and it's finally here. Our new Catholicism documentary series, book, and study program are now available to order online at catholicismseries.com. Will you help me introduce this epic film series to your parish, school, family, and friends? Catholicism is an unprecedented adventure around the world and deep into the faith. Learn more at catholicismseries.com or call 1-866-928-1237. That's 1-866-928-1237. 928 1237